uh, and um, uh, set apart for the Lord. That was Achan and how that his sin troubled all of Israel. But then I want you to skip forward to April 13, Joshua chapter 8 and verse 2. My Bible is page 389. Uh, Joshua 8, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai, which is the second city they took. For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set in ambush behind the town. The, the thing I want you to notice is that the Lord said this time in this city, any of the plunder from the city, any of the booty that is collected from the city uh, is for the people of Israel. They may take, they may keep whatever they get. And uh, that was the practice and the policy as they went through the rest of the promised land conquering these great walled cities. From that point forward, they were allowed to keep for themselves everything that they uh, plundered. But the first city, which was holy unto the Lord as the first fruits, they were not to uh, touch it. And uh, so very, very interesting event that happened in Scripture. And we read about it uh, uh, Friday and Saturday if you were keeping up in your Bible reading. Um, but uh, to, to me it's a very, very fascinating passage of Scripture as you, as you move from Deuteronomy into Joshua. It's a time of transition for the children of Israel, which is a type of the church and which is a type of an individual Christian as well. Most of you all know the story. I want to kind of lay just a, a timeline out for you a little bit. Is Joseph was the one that brought his family into Egypt. And Joseph and his family came into Egypt uh, with the favor of Pharaoh. But over the passage of time, there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know the story of, of Joseph and his 11 brothers and his father and how God had favored them. And so these great and growing group of Hebrew people ended up becoming slaves. And so uh, uh, for 400 years from the time Joseph came into Israel until the time of Moses, most of that time God's people were in slavery in Egypt. And then Moses the deliverer came and brought them out of Egypt. We've all heard the story of Moses and the Deliverer. So 400 years after Joseph comes Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt and into the wandering in the wilderness. And because they disbelieved God's promise when they could have moved in just a few months later at Kadesh Barnea, instead they were forced to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And there during that time of wandering, every fighting age man uh, that uh, was there at the time of Kadesh Barnea died in the wilderness. And so 40 years later, it was time for them to move in and enter into the promised land. They were amassed on the east side of the Jordan River. And we talked about how Ephraim, uh, or, or the half-tribe of Manasseh, and uh, uh, the other tribes that decided we want to park ourselves right here on the east side of Jordan. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, but the, the promised land was on the other side of Jordan, and that's where things were going to change. Lots of things were going to change for them as they moved into the promised land. For the last 40 years, they had been essentially just vagabonds and wanderers. They were homeless. They didn't have a 
destination. They weren't taking any territory. They were just surviving, just making it from day to day. And God's supernatural provision was what was keeping them alive. The manna that appeared every morning just supernaturally. And, uh, but they were not taking in a territory, ter- any territory. They weren't seizing the promised land. They were just wandering and surviving. But as Moses turned the reins over to Joshua and up on Mount Nebo, he looked at the promised land but never was able to enter in. He turned it over to his understudy or protege or apprentice whose name was Joshua. And there was the time of change and transition. And after Moses died... The scripture says that they mourned for 30 days, and then Joshua said, it's time for us to get up and go in and possess this promised land that we've been promised. So what, what, what all things were happening in this transition? Well, number one, they would not be wandering anymore, and they would suddenly begin to possess their promised land, actually taking territory. While they were in the wilderness, they covered lots of land, but they didn't take any territory. They just passed through. They were just subsisting. They were just surviving. They weren't thriving. They were just in a survival mentality. And so they went and crossed over the Jordan River. One thing that was going to change is now they were going to begin to take territory. They were going to advance. They wouldn't be just in survival mode anymore, but now they would be in the mode of taking territory and advancing and seizing what God had promised to them. Amen? Now, interestingly enough, as they were wandering in the wilderness, we see very few examples where they ever had to take their sword out. They didn't have to fight very much. But when they came into the promised land, immediately they were engaged in warfare. And the book of Joshua is all about battles and wars and taking territory and wiping out people because of God's command that they come in and possess the promised land. And so in all of this, we see an allegory of an individual and of a church, that a church can simply be in survival mode and not be taking any territory, not be moving forward in in a spiritual sense of seizing what God's promised to us as a church, just basically maintaining. Do you know what I'm saying? Just maintaining. We're not taking any territory. We're not gaining any ground. And that's the wilderness time. And uh, some people, songwriters, have talked about whenever we cross over Jordan, And they're indicating that crossing over Jordan is a type of going to heaven as a Christian. But that's not really the typology here. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to have to fight any battles. Amen? But in a spiritual sense, we reach a point spiritually. And I believe it's when somebody completely submits to the Lord, as empowered by the Spirit, begins to walk in the Spirit. They begin to move into the promised land. And they begin to watch God use them. And be empowered by God to do great things for the kingdom of the Lord. And this is what was happening. As they moved into the promised land, they began to see God do things through them and for them as they began to seize territory for themselves. And as a church, I believe, I really, really strongly believe, and this is not just rhetoric. You say, well, you said this last year or the year before. Uh, But I really believe, I believe that our church is moving in a transition time. I can sense and feel that we're moving from a time of survival, of not really gaining much ground, but just holding what we have, 
into a time where we're going to begin to take the promises and we're beginning to receive and take the promises that God has given to us as individuals and God has given to us as leaders and God has given to us as a church actually seizing God's promises. God never intended for the church to struggle just to make it. God never intended the church to just be in a survival mentality of let's hold the fort and let's hope the four of us can stay together until Jesus comes. But God intended for the church to be a conquering force. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That means the church should be able to penetrate the gates of hell to do great conquering and great taking of territory that used to belong to Satan. And that's what the church is about. The church is not about just me and my kids making it to heaven, although that's very important. But the church is about us taking new territory and seizing territory that used to belong to the enemy. And that's what happened in this transition. While they were with Moses, they didn't take any territory that belonged to an enemy for very little. But when they, when they transitioned into this mode with Joshua, they began to take things that belonged to the enemy but were rightfully theirs by the promises of God. And as a church moves into this type of a stage, it's when it becomes normal and expected for drug addicts to be delivered. It becomes normal and expected for new people from all walks of life to come in and give their life to the Lord Jesus and begin to turn from an old life of sin, from an old life of emptiness and lacking in purpose into a new life that is full of purpose and full of meaning. And all of a sudden, somebody that the devil had in a nominal sense, now he no longer has anymore. Or maybe the devil had in a very strong sense, and now the devil's losing them. That's what the church moving into the promised land is all about. It's a church that's taking territory away from the enemy. That's where the children of Israel were. And I believe that's where we are as a church. And this is a telling time in our Bible reading that we're beginning to see more people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're beginning to see God deliver people and set people free from the hand. Not saying that it's never happened before. It's always been a part of the church. But since I've been here, I've noticed we've kind of been more in a survival mode. And we haven't really grown that much other than people moving maybe from another area. But you know what? It's time for us to take our city. It's time for us to deliver people from the hand of the enemy based on the promises of God. I believe God's giving us this opportunity. He's giving us this privilege. And we're going to begin to pray for family members that are lost. Amen. At our Bible study, we're praying for Jen's mother and father who are not believers. We believe that God is going to bring... They're, they're in Seoul, South Korea. But I believe they can experience God. And there are others of you that have loved ones that you need to begin to believe and have faith in your heart and expect that those that once belonged to the enemy and have no interest in the things of God or just a casual interest in the things of God are suddenly going to fall head over heels in love with Jesus because the church is on the move because God's people are focused and aggressive about taking new territory. Amen. But I want you to notice that when you start taking territory, people start drawing swords. It's okay if you want to wander through, but if you want to take my city over, I'm going to fight you. And so as a church, we can't afford to be prayerless anymore. As a church, we can't afford to be uh, just kind of half-hearted in our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to use our spiritual weapons to their fullest potential because we're making the enemy mad now. He doesn't mind us just us four and no more and 
you know, the Pentecostals that are lifetime Pentecostals and uh, they've been believers and they're just kind of, it's in their DNA, it's in their blood and, and they're just kind of hovering together and trying to fight back the enemy and, and uh, there's really not a whole lot of enemy fighting them, really. But then when they start taking territory and they start bringing people to the, to the light of truth, that's where the enemy begins to attack and says, uh-uh, no, no, just stay in your place, but you come in, in inside my gates and I'm going to fight you. But the Word of God promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Amen. That doesn't mean we're guaranteed victory without fighting. That doesn't mean we shouldn't use our spiritual gifts and, and, and our weapons of warfare that God has given to us, but it does guarantee us final victory. So, you know what we need to do as we move into revival is pray more, not less. We need to be more spiritual, not less spiritual. More spiritually minded, more in tune with the Holy Ghost, more hungry for God rather than less hungry for the things of God. And this is basically the time of transition that the, the, the uh, people of Israel were in between Deuteronomy and Joshua. And between Deuteronomy and Joshua, the first word of Joshua is, uh, as you move into Joshua, it was a preposition. It shows that it is picking up, I'm sorry, a conjunction, that it's picking up where Deuteronomy left off. It's just like a seamless flow in the historical story. And the nation had mourned Moses' death for 30 days, and now God was instructing Joshua to prepare to enter the land. Now, one of the probably one of the most fascinating things that I've read in the last couple of weeks in my Bible reading that I just read over and over was from April 5. You can turn to April 5. That's not a book in the Bible, but Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I this this chapter became so meaningful to me. I've, I've never really focused on it that much, but this chapter is so powerful and prophetic. And if you haven't read it, uh, make a note to yourself when you get home tonight or in the car on the way home. You're not driving. Just read, read over this if you don't get car sick. Read over chapter 28 of Deuteronomy because it is very telling. Now, Deuteronomy, remember, anybody remember what Deuteronomy means from, from our last Bible study that we had on Wednesday night? Deut Deuteronomy. Do you remember, Sister Nez? Second time or second telling of the law. And uh, Moses gave them the law in uh, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus is heavy in the law. And then the stories that happened in Numbers as well. But Deuteronomy is where he took everything that he told and he retold all the children of Israel before he died. Basically saying, this is what I want you to remember. And when I pass away, I want you to remember all of these laws uh, that I have given to you. And toward the end of the second telling of the law in Deuteronomy, Moses stops and says in verse 1 of chapter 28, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the world. You will experience all of these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. And you can go through the list of blessings right there. Your towns, your fields will be blessed. Your children, your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds or your animals and flocks will be blessed. The fruit baskets and the breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you'll be blessed. Everybody say hallelujah. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack from one direction, but you will send them scattering in seven directions. 
the Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and fill your storehouse with grain. And it goes on there for the next, uh, for the first 14 verses, verse 11. He's blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time and uh, will bless all the work that you do. He will, you will lend to many nations, but you'll never have to borrow from anybody. And he said, and as a result, you're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be in charge. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will always be on top and never at the bottom. This will happen if you do not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow after other gods and worship them. This promise to the children of Israel, so profound, before you enter into the promised land, listen, children of Israel, if you obey the laws that I've given to you, this is God's covenant with you. And if you obey it, Look at all of these things I'm going to bless in your life. It's essentially God's favor. And there is nothing like God's favor. Amen. I'd like for the mayor of uh, Pasadena to look kindly on me. And it'd be nice if Governor Arnold would look kindly on me. While While you're at it, George Bush, President, you can look kindly on me as well. But there is nothing that can bless your life like the favor of God. How many really believe that? If God is happy with you and says, I'm going to bless you, nobody can bless you like Jesus can bless you. Nobody bless you like the Father, like my God can bless you. God can pour blessings into your life and put favor in your life that does not even make sense. Amen? He can blow you away. Just look at what the Word of God says. But then after these first 14 verses, verse 15 through 68, and that's a significant amount of verses there, it says, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God, and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. And look at this list. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Fruit baskets and bedboards cursed. Children and crops will be cursed. Offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be cursed. Everybody said, that don't sound good. The Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion, frustration, everything you do. Until at last you are completely destroyed. And then it goes on and on and on and on. One place it says you're going to be sold into slavery in another country. And you're going to be so ugly nobody's even going to want to buy you as a slave. Basically that's what it's saying. And and, uh, uh, this is the curse that goes if you disobey. To me this is really if you could take the whole Bible you could sum it up in this chapter right here. This chapter is a summation of, of the word of God. And the Word of God is basically saying here, it's all about submitting to God and obeying God. If you will submit to God, if you will obey His Word, then watch out, I'm going to bless you. But if you choose, as my covenant children, to disobey my Word, I'm not only going to ignore you, but I'm going to send a curse on you. And things are going to get bad and bad and ugly. Amen? And so, uh, as you as you look at this... Uh, a passage of Scripture. This comes from the root of the concept of covenant relationship. Everybody knows, right, that God made a covenant with Abraham. A covenant is what two people will make with one another. It's like, you watch my back, I'll watch your back. I got your back, you got my back. Somebody attacks you, I'm going to punch him. Somebody attacks me, you be there. It's like the three musketeers, all for one and one for all. This is a covenant between men. But when a covenant is between God and man, nobody needs to watch God's back, do they? 
God can take care of himself. He's a big boy. And so the covenant terms are a little bit different. The covenant terms are this. God says, I will fight for you. If anybody messes with you, they're messing with me. I will bless you. I will bless your flocks. I will send the rains at the right time so that your crops will prosper and grow and thrive. I will send my blessings into your family. I will bless you because you're my people. We're agreed. We're in covenant together. Abraham got into covenant with God. And so, Abraham, what's your end of the covenant? Your end of the covenant is you don't have to fight for God because he can fight for himself. All you have to do is listen, learn, and carefully submit to and obey the commandments of the supreme God. And if you obey God, then he said, I'll keep up my end of the covenant. But if you choose to breach and break the covenant, then I am no longer going to maintain this end of the covenant that I made to you. Fair enough? You obey, I bless. You obey, I fight for you. You obey, I make you a great nation. You obey, I make you the head, not the tail. You obey, and God is going to bless you. The flip side is, you disobey, and you're worse than just somebody that never knew God. Because the difference is, you entered into covenant. You decided, I'm going to step into covenant with God. And Abraham and your children, Isaac and Jacob, Moses, the 12 tribes of Israel, people of God, listen to me. You're different than any other people because you're in covenant with God. And God's jealous for you. God loves you. And He wants to bless you. Amen? But since you're in covenant, He's not going to ignore you either way. He's going to ignore you. He's not going to ignore you if you obey. And he's not going to ignore you if you disobey. It's either blessings or curses. And so the covenant relationship that the children of Israel had with God is being declared here in Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to bless you. Moses said, this is the whole Bible wrapped up in one lump word. If you obey, I'll bless because you're my people. Because I love you. I chose you. I picked you out. Uh, I loved you before you were born. You're my chosen. And if you will obey me, all you've got to do is submit to my will, which is not random, but it's there to protect you. My will and my commandments are not arbitrary, but they're there so that you can be blessed. And if you will obey them and trust me and obey me, then I'm going to bless you like you have never been blessed before. But if you don't, if you disobey, then there will come upon you great sorrow, great mourning, and great loss. And Moses declared it to Joshua. He said, when you get into the promised land, Make sure you keep the law in your mind. Make sure you let the law go over your mouth. Meditate on the law. The word meditate comes from the same word as mutter. Anybody ever met somebody that just walks around kind of muttering? And somebody's muttering, you, you kind of think, man, there's something wrong with them. I saw somebody <laughs> down uh, uh, on the street corner here up on uh, Foothill and Rosemead today as I was coming. And... Uh, was a man who was obviously inebriated. He was walking down the middle, going like this. I saw him. But he's like, this guy's drunk or crazy, one. Because it's okay to think something, but when it comes across your mouth and you're muttering, it kind of looks weird. But what it means is you're putting voice to what's in your mind. 
And that's what Joshua's commanded. Get the law in your mind and then speak it, speak it, speak it, because this is so very important. If you want God's blessing, make sure you speak it. Make sure it's a part of your language. Make sure it is a part of your life. Amen? We should never view Bible study and memorization as just an end in themselves. Well, I'm just going to memorize the Bible so I can say that I can quote 400 verses. Well, good for you. My accountant can quote the tax code. I don't like him any better for it. Memorization is not an end in itself. But memorization of the Word of God is important because the end is being obedient to God's Word. And when you get the Word in your heart, it's more than just knowing it. It's obeying the Word of the Lord and saying, God's Word is my authority. And if I get the Word in my heart and choose to obey it, then I am ensured God's blessings on my life. Amen? That's why Bible study is important. Not just so you'll know more, but so you'll obey more. Are you with me tonight? Study of the Word of God is not just for your knowledge so you're puffed up and you've got a big head. Study of the Word of God is so you'll know what to do. Because it's about action. It's about obedience. It's about applying the Word of the Lord. And you cannot obey the Word unless you understand it and are consciously aware of it to make decisions in your life day by day in your life. So here's the story. Joshua has... Uh, been uh, instructed passionately by Moses, keep the law, obey the law, obey God, submit to God. If you do this, blessings are coming your way. If you disobey, I don't care how pious you are, but if you choose to disobey God's word, then there's no blessings coming. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a curse that's coming. And so as they entered into the promised land, awesome story, Brother Chris talked about the water's going back in both directions, essentially, as I read Scripture. And uh, they cross through, and there in the middle, they stop and they pile up the stones as a memorial for their kids and future generations. And then on the other side, on the other side of Jordan, they pile up stones as well as a memorial, 12 stones for 12 tribes of Israel to remind their future generations. And remember when God dried up the riverbed so that we could cross over and remember what God did for us. And then when they got to the other side, as you read in your Bible reading, the first thing they did is reinstituted the important covenant sign of circumcision. Because during the wilderness wandering, this sign of the covenant had been overlooked or ignored. They reinstated it. And so for a few days they stayed there and rested until they were healed. And then they went into the promised land. The spies had already been, and you know the story of Rahab, the prostitute that was there to uh, protect them and hide them. And she said, please, would you, uh, we know that God's going to give you the city. So when you come in, will you allow my family to be saved? They said, yes, put the cord out the window, and everybody that's in this household, we're going to spare them and make sure that nobody is killed from this household. So long story short, they march around the walls. There's about 50 messages in what I'm saying right now. They march around the walls seven days, seven times on the seventh day. And then when they get the signal, they blast the trumpets and they begin to shout and the walls fall down flat and they charge up into it and they take the promise. They take the first city in the promised land. Now, one thing to understand about Canaan, Canaan was not a, a nation ruled by one king. It was a nation of city-states. 
So each of these great walled cities was like its own nation with its own king. So it was like uh, each city was like a different power entity. And sometimes they would have uh, confederations and join with each other. But each city was its own kingdom. And so Jericho was one of the strongest and uh, the greatest. And it was the first one that they had to take. And so the hope was that as they took this first city, then all the other city-states around Israel would begin to hear the stories and would become more fearful and more likely just to acquiesce and give up. And interestingly enough, uh, I've heard this before. I, I read it somewhere. I saw it on the map one time. There were ten major cities, major walled cities that they took. Of course, there were other small towns and areas that they ended up taking, but ten major walled cities that they took. And Jericho was the first. And according to God's, uh, the, the concept in Scripture of the first fruits, the first belonged to the Lord, and it was holy unto God. And it was not for people to take and enjoy for themselves. And the firstlings of the flock, remember Abel brought the firstlings of the flock, and there he offered them to the Lord. And when Abel offered the firstlings of the flock, God had uh, respect unto Abel's offering. But uh, the offering that was uh, offered uh, from Cain was not respected. It was not the firstlings. It was not a, an animal with blood, and it was also not the first fruits. It was the firstlings of the flock, but it wasn't the first fruit of the ground. But Genesis 4 and 4 says, Abel brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. God had commanded the Israelites to consecrate all the spoils of the battle of Jericho to him, since he had given Jericho into their hands as the first fruits of the land. Everybody say first fruits. And of course Rahab and her possessions were exceptions because she had been aided by the she had aided the spies. But the Israelites were to burn the cities under this ban or this accursement up to the Lord and to kill the inhabitants, including the cattle. The only objects they were to spare were the metal, gold, silver, and vessels of brass and iron. And these things were to be placed in the treasury of the tabernacle. It was God's, and nobody was supposed to touch it. And uh, interestingly enough, this was the first test. Once they moved into the promised land, the first test of their submission to God's authority and God's directives had to do with possessions and finances. Isn't that weird? Out of all the things that could have been the testing ground, it was money and finances. That was the first issue that they faced when they moved into the promised land. You may think that that, and that's kind of an odd thing to uh, really be the first focus, but uh, in your Bible reading on April the 13th, on last uh, uh, Friday, I believe it was, Friday of last week, Mark, or, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16 and verse 13 from April 13 says, No man can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Two masters, you cannot serve both God and Satan. No, it says you can't serve both God and money, saying that the God of this world is finance. The God of this world is money. So it's either you're going to serve the true God or you're going to serve 
the false God, which is the almighty dollar. So I don't think it's really strange, now that I think about it, that the first test, the first test of obedience had to do with blessings and had to do with giving to God what belonged to him. Proverbs 3 and 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so that thy barns may be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And the first offense of the children of Israel moving into the promised land had to do with not submitting to God's authority in the area of blessing and finance. Anybody still awake? Why don't we stand and stretch? We've only got about four or five minutes left, but stand up and stretch. Oh, hallelujah. Like this. Stretch them forward in front of you. Rub the shoulders of that person in front of you if there is anybody, if it's appropriate. All right, you may be seated. They took Jericho. God blessed them. The walls fell down flat. They went in and they possessed it. And they took everything and they destroyed everything they were commanded to destroy. And they took all the treasure, the the bars of gold, the silver coins, all the precious metals, and they brought them into the treasury, into the house of the Lord. This was God's. We don't touch this. This is the first. This is God's. We don't touch this. The first of the ten major walled cities. Interesting. One-tenth. They brought in and they decided that they, because of God's directive, they would not touch it. And then the Bible says it's real plain and real clear. The next step in chapter number seven was the smaller community of Ai. And the spies went and looked it out and said, we don't have to send the whole army. Let's just send 3,000 guys over there. So they send 3,000 guys over to take Ai, and they end up, rather than taking the city, being run out of town. And uh, the, the citizens of Ai are, are, uh, are chasing after uh, the Israelites. And see, you may say, well, that's no big deal. Let's just get the bigger army and go and wipe the city out. It is a big deal. The reason it's a big deal is because the rest of the cities, all of their morale was, like, destroyed because Israel comes and takes Jericho. But then the morale kind of turns when they go to take Ai and you see Israelites running scared with their swords. And all of a sudden these people who were demoralized suddenly begin to get confident. And they're like, wow, we can do this. We can take. So it was significant in terms of morale, in terms of the morale of the enemy. And so they came back. Many There were people that were, that were slain. And it was a sad victory. It was a terrible victory. And they came back and they're like, and Joshua's like bent out of shape. He's like, God, you told me that you were going to fight for us, that you would go before us, that you were going to give us the promised land. And I went with confidence and faith. I believed you. And now, God, can you tell me what's wrong? Why didn't you fight for us? And God turns around and says, the problem's not with me. The problem's with Israel. Don't try to find the problem with me. The problem is with you. And you can pray all day long if you want to. But you know what you need to do? You need to get up out of your prayer position because you're not going to pray through this. There's something you need to make right. He said there is sin in the camp of Israel. And that sin is affecting. That sin may just be one person, but that sin in touching and taking the thing that was accursed or set apart to God is affecting the whole nation of Israel and the whole important steps of possessing the promised land that they've been hoping for for a long time. And so you read the story in Scripture. They used the Uman and Thurman 
which, which, which was a, um, kind of a casting of lots to determine. And it would show which one was chosen by, by God. This was kind of a sacred means of divining information. And uh, uh, so basically God revealed as they went through the, the tribe, this is the tribe and this is the family and this is the subfamily and then this is the individual family. And Achan is standing there. And, and Josh was like, well, you confess that you have disobeyed God. And Achan says, I did it. I saw as, as we were sacking the city, I saw a beautiful suit of clothing. It was gorgeous. And I wanted it. I saw it. I wanted it. And then I grabbed it. And then I also saw a big bar of gold, very heavy bar of gold. And I saw that. And I could not help myself. I grabbed it. And, I took, and then I saw a, a number of silver coins. And I took these. And I, I brought them into my tent. And underneath the tent, I, I dug a hole. And I, I put them under the ground. And if you went into my tent and dug in the, in the center of my tent, you would find these. And you'd find the gold bar and the garment. And then if you dig a little further, you'd come to the silver coins. Because I, I did it. I took what was accursed and set apart what God said, don't touch. It's mine. It's mine. Don't touch it. And so Joshua said, in essence, you have brought great, this sin has brought great sorrow upon Israel, and we must purge it. We must clean it. And uh, the story goes in the Old Testament manner of judgment, the family of Achan was stoned that day because sin had to be purged out of the nation of Israel. And then God said, take your whole army, and I want you to go back to Ai, and I want you to take the, the, the city. But when you take the city, if you see some gold bars in there, they're yours. If you see some silver coins in there, they're yours. Whatever you see, some good animals in there, they're yours. You see some good livestock in there, they're yours. Because you have honored my request of the first fruits belonging to the Lord, don't touch it. And then the re- and as they went through through the through the rest of the cities that they plundered, we see no evidence ever again where God said, "Don't touch any of it. It's mine." It was the first fruits, the first of the tenth that they weren't to touch. And because of that, God sent His blessings upon them, and they experienced uh, great blessings. Uh, and uh, the reason that Achan was his sin affected all of Israel because he was a member of the community of Israel. And uh, he had treacherously or secretly, just like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, did something that uh, was disrespectful and disobedient to the word of the Lord. And uh, God told Joshua that it wasn't what God did, but it was what Israel had done this disgraceful thing and so the word of the lord is plain and clear and even in our lives today our lives today we're going to have to face the question of whether we're going to be submitted to god or not whether we're going to obey the word of the lord or not and one of the primary areas where god will test us is in the area of finance still today amen this is an area where we determine whether we really believe the bible or not and it's so quiet in here. You know what? Th- this has got to be made plain to some people because you need to understand it. This is the word of the Lord just like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 is a part of the word of the Lord. 
surrendering to God's plan, surrendering to the word of the Lord. There are people who have financial struggles and they wonder why. Why do I have financial struggles? Because you're not living under a blessing. You're living under a curse. Because you have taken, see, you say, well, what about all these people out in the world that they don't tithe? And seems like they're, Bill Gates seems like he's doing pretty good, don't he? How about that? How do you like them apples? Well, guess what? Bill Gates is no member of any covenant with God that I know of. The covenant with God comes with the covenant sign of circumcision, which in the New Testament is Jesus' name, baptism. You enter into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, God, you're taking my life. You're the Lord and the leader of my life. And in the future, I'm not making decisions. You're making decisions. You're Lord of my life. I'm in covenant relationship. And as a result, I expect you to heal my babies when they get sick. And as a result, I expect you to prepare a way before me in the presence of mine enemies. As, as a result, God, I know that you're going to fight for me. And the victory that we have, the victory that I have, is not going to be because of who I am or my intellect or my ability or my strength or my influence. It's going to be because i got a big guy in my corner whose name is Jesus. And he possesses all power in heaven and on earth. And all i got to do is submit to you. All i got to do is say, God, you're in charge. Tell me what to do. Get into the Word of God, whatever the Word of God says. Submission is the powerful Word. In fact, I've heard it said before, if you could take all the Bible, I said this in Bible study the other night, if you could take all the Bible and, uh, and, and scale it down to one sentence and then scale it down to one word, take Deuteronomy 28, scale it down to one word, and that word is submission. That if you submit to God, He will bless you. If you rebel against God and His Word and His principles, then He is not honor-bound to bless you. But as a covenant child, when we enter into covenant relationship with the Lord, I'm in covenant relationship with Jesus. That's why what I do with my money is important to God and important to me because I'm in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already completely destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my laws and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how can we return when we never left? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. Should people cheat God? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from the insects and disease. That doesn't mean you don't have to plant, you don't have to harvest. you still got to work, but God says, I'm going to protect it. Your grapes will not shrivel before they are ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord Almighty. You only believe the part of the Bible that you do. You only believe the part of the Bible, the part of the Word of God that you practice. And, in the, and, and, and this is one of the least popular things for a pastor to get up and preach about. But let me tell you, it's the Word of the Lord, and it's a source of power and blessing for a person's life. Nobody can force you to do it. You choose to do it because you believe the Word of God. 
and you say, God, I believe your blessings. I believe your blessings come. See, this it, it's different for somebody who gets it. There's people in this church who got it. They understand the principle. And they're like, when, when somebody gets it, it's like, I'd rather you cut off my finger than me not give God what's rightfully his. I'm serious. There's people that are that dogmatic and that passionate about it. And they don't want to walk out. They don't want to spend a week or two without taking care of saying, this is God's, and I'm giving it to God. I'm not touching. I'm not spending this. This is God's. God bless me with everything, everything I have. When I wake up in the morning and I say, praise the Lord, instead of, I'm able to communicate and put words together because God's put my brain in gear. Everything that I do, every movement of my muscle is a blessing from God, and I'm surrendered and submitted to God. And as a result, everything I have is God. It's all God's. And so the first fruit, when God blesses me, not if I have some left over after I pay my bills, but the first fruit with what God blesses me, just a tenth I'm going to give to the Lord as tithe. And if I want to give any as offerings, I can give as a burnt offering when I come to church so they can burn it in the air conditioning system or burn it in the van to pick up children. A burnt offering unto the Lord. I just made that up. You like that? That's cute, isn't it? But we give to the Lord and God blesses. Amen? But God is not honor-bound. I've heard people say, pray for my finances. And I say, I can't pray for your finances because you're not tithing. You're in covenant relationship and not tithing, asking God to bless your finances. I can't. I, I mean, I, I can do like Joshua and say, oh, God, please, what happened? What's going on? Why, why am I struggling, going through this struggle in my life? Why, why, why? He said, get up off the ground and take care of what you need to take care of. And then watch me bless you. You don't have to pray. Watch me bless you. Watch me pour abundance into your life. That doesn't mean you can go around and be stupid. That doesn't mean you can be lazy. Amen. God said, I'll I'll send the rains, I'll rebuke the devourer, but I'm not going to plant the crops for you. And I'm not going to harvest them for you. You still have to work, but you got God's favor and God's blessing upon it. Amen. And I want, I want all of us to understand from the greatest to the least in the kingdom of God. Some people say, well, I don't make any money. I don't make very much money. And, and it, the church, it, it doesn't bless or hurt the church whether I pay my tithes or not. That's not the issue. It's about you. It's about whether God's going to be able to bless you or not. Amen? How many know what I'm talking about? Amen. And it's about submitting to the Lord and submitting to God. And here's how it works in our church, just so you understand, just so everybody knows. There's no questions. The tithes, as in the Old Testament, were to support the Levitical priesthood. And in our church, the tithes that come in are to provide income for pastor and the staff of the church, which we have a growing staff at our church. And our staff is going to continue to grow as we become a larger church. You understand that? It's not about one man. It's about the workers in the kingdom of God, those that work for the kingdom of God. And we have a, a staff administrator. We have a staff music director. They don't make very much money, do they, Sister Kathy? But they are supported by the tithes of the church. This is the tithes for the Levites, for the those that are doing the work of the ministry, the work of the kingdom of God, and also uh, leadership. When we have leadership events from the tithe, this comes. And also sometimes the special speakers and the preaching that comes from tithes. And then from offerings, which is when somebody comes in, they fill out their tithe envelope, they say, this much is tithe, this is 10%, $70, 10% of my $700 that I made this week, $70. And then I also want to give 
an offering to the Lord. It may just be $5 or $10, but it's just free will. That means I'm not doing this because this belongs to God. Tithe belongs to God. Amen. It's God's, and I'm giving it back to him because that's all he asked of me. But offering is, I don't have to give this, but I'm giving this out of my heart to the Lord. And then all of a sudden God says, I'm going to bless it. How many believe God blesses that? Amen. And the offering of the church is what takes care of the needs of the assembly, which are things like uh, um, uh, many people say, well, what, 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 what needs does the church have? Well, the church has a lot of, a lot of needs. We have uh, electrical bills. We have, we have uh, a minimal amount of taxes. We have insurance. $7,000 we pay in insurance every year as a church, and this comes from the offerings uh, that the church gives. There's utilities, there's phone bills, all of these things that go from the offerings that the people give. And so the Lord blesses the church and the church moves forward. And when everybody who's a member of the church says, we're going to do what God's commanded in tithing and we're going to give offerings. It may not be much. It may be a lot. Whatever it is, that's between you and God. But we're going to give offerings and the church will grow and will be blessed. You're saying, Brother Brown, talk about something else. There's so many other things that you can preach about and teach about. Well, tell Joshua that and let them go into battle and get defeated ten more times. But as a church, we've got to obey the will and the plan. This is God's plan. And it works because God pours his blessings out upon them that obey. Amen. God pours his blessing and provision and plenty upon them that obey. I want to be submitted to the word of God and to the will of God. How many of you feel that way? Amen. I want to be submitted to the word of God and to the will of God. And I know that God is going to bless me. And at church, on our weekend services, when we come together, you can stand together right now. When we come together, we're going to begin a practice because sometimes things happen we just forget. You know what I'm saying? Well, I forgot to give my offering. How many of you ever got out a $5 bill to put in the offering and you walk out and you're like, Jehovah Jireh, they didn't come my way. I guess I'll go buy some, buy some candy or something. Anybody? I, I, I've done that before. I take it out of my wallet and put it in my pocket and the usher comes by and I'm like, oh. It's not your fault, no. But uh, what we're going to do on Sundays, the weekend, whenever they came, they brought a sacrifice to the house of the Lord. They brought something. And uh, we saw Jesus right before his crucifixion, the week of the Passion. He's sitting watching people as they put money in the offering plate. Jesus don't care about money. He just cared about that you love him. Well, he was watching, and he saw the widow come up and bring her mite, which was not much. And he said, you know what? That's the biggest offering that came in today. That little handful of quarters is the best yeah because she gave from not from her excess but she gave from her living jesus was watching and interest don't tell me jesus is not interested in giving amen and and so on sunday members of the church those that are part of life church get you an envelope every sunday you say well i only get paid once a month that's fine tithe once a month but every sunday bring something if it's a $5 bill, if it's a $10 bill, put it in an envelope. Put your name on it. Mark it as general offering if it's an offering. Mark it as missions if it's for missions. If it's tithe, mark it for tithe because um, we have some smart people that work in the office, but none of them have ESP. So they got you to have you mark it down so that they know. And every Sunday, we're going to give our offerings to the Lord. We're going to give our tithes to the Lord as a form of worship to the Lord. That's a powerful form of worship. Amen. It's a form of worship that shakes the gates of hell and makes the enemy nervous because he knows if God has your money, he has your heart. 
Because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And when God has your treasure, and when you're like, God, I'm giving back to you what you asked me, and then when I feel led, I'm going to give more. And when I feel led, I'm going to give offerings. But I'm always going to give what you have asked of me and commanded of me. And watch God's blessings begin to come on our church. Watch us never be lacking, amen, for God's provision. The Bible says bring your tithe so that the storehouse will be full, so there will not be needs. And God, see, here's the deal. This church is going forward. God's given us a great vision, and the only way that it's going to happen is if we obey God. Not because we're talented or because we have one fat cat with a bunch of cash in his wallet who's going to foot the bill. It's because all of God's people obey the commands of the Lord. And you watch God begin to bless you. You watch God begin to bless your finances and your family and your church as we obey the Lord. Amen. I went over tonight. I'm in trouble. My wife has been giving me the eye from the back room. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and give him thanks for his blessings. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, why don't you just lift up your hands to the Lord and give praise to Him. Jesus, I praise you today, Lord God. And the greatest thing that I can give to you, Lord, is not not my money, but I'm giving you my life, Lord Jesus. I made a decision a long time ago. I'm not in charge anymore. I'm not in the driver's seat. But, God, I'm surrendered and submitted to you. God, I know you're going to bless my family. I know, Jesus, you're going to take care of my checkbook. I know, God, you're going to meet my needs. You're going to give me a good car. You're going to take care of the home situation, Lord God. You're going take care of my kids. God, I know I'm trusting you. I'm going to work hard. You're going to bless the labor of my hands. And God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to obey you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to put you first in my life, Lord God. And I'm going to watch your blessings, Lord Jesus, come. And the more I submit to you, the more power and anointing I get. The more I obey you, the more you give me authority and ability to work in the kingdom of God. I thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. I give you glory. Just clap your hands to the Lord and praise Him right now. Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship You. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Remember the great things happening. If you want to go on the van trip Friday or Saturday, see Simon. He'll give you the details. God bless you.